this is Allison Stanfield with Art Biz Success, and you are listening to the Inspiration Place podcast with your host, Miriam Shulman. This episode is sponsored by the Six Figure Artist, an art business coaching division of the Inspiration Place. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 40 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so thrilled that you're here. Today, we're talking all about marketing your art. In this episode, you're going to discover why you don't need to live in an art town, why email is great, but sometimes picking up the phone is better, and why getting involved in your community can actually help you sell more art. And we're not just talking about your local art community. Now, before I bring on today's guest, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about what I do. I am an artist and I also teach people how to paint. So if you're interested in learning my techniques, I have lots of free resources for you. Make sure you pick up some of those over at the show notes. But another thing I also do is I work with other artists and online entrepreneurs one-on-one to help them build their businesses. So I've done it. I can show you how to do it too. My specialty is coaching other artists to take their talents and create a thriving business out of it. So if you want to learn how I create my email marketing campaigns, how I work with commissions with customers, how I turn looky-loos into art collectors and nurture that relationship, I would love to work with you. I also talk about this in my other podcast episode. So be sure you go and check out the romance of selling art. That was a full deep dive into many of the things we're going to be talking about today. But if you want to work one-on-one with me, I would love to talk to you and you can schedule a free discovery call. All you have to do is go to shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z. There's a short little questionnaire just so I can get to know you and we can talk over a video conference call. I can get to know you and we'll see how I can help you. All right. Now let me bring on today's guest. Today's guest has been helping artists become more productive and profitable at Art Biz Success since 2002. She's the founder of the Art Career Success System, which turns your business tasks into routines that you can use at any point in your art business and career. She recently released the fourth edition of her book, I'd Rather Be in the Art Studio, The Artist's No Excuse Guide to Self-Promotion, which you can get in hard copy, which is great because then you can scribble in the margins and place on your shelf of honor of resource materials. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, 
Allison Stanfield. Well, hello, Allison. Welcome so much to the show. Hi, Miriam. So happy to be here. I am so thrilled to have you. So I have, you know, a lot of authors and guests and you know, I always read the books of my guests, but Allison, you're one of the first people who I've invited in who I've actually coached with. And I believe it was in 2015, I took every single one of your offerings, <laughs> including going to Golden. Yes, you did. Yes, I yes, did. Yes, you did. Yes, I did. And also, I've done one of Allison's in-person mastermind retreats. You still call them Art Table? We call them mastermind workshops now. Okay, cool. All right. And I believe the, um, after this podcast airs, the next one is in Seattle in That's September. Correct. Okay. I've read her ebook and I've read now her latest edition. So that is what we're talking about today. I'd rather be in the studio. So I do have a link to your book in the show notes, shulmanart.com forward slash 40. And I also have a book club, shulmanart.com forward slash book club, which has Allison's book and everything that I'm reading. I'm going to have to visit there, see what you're reading. Most of them are books of people that I've had on my show, but there's some other goodies on there as well. All right. So are you ready to dive in? We have so much to talk about. Yeah, let's do this. Okay. It was hard to narrow down what I wanted to talk about, but the first one I want to talk about is why you don't need to live in an art town to have a successful art career. My return question is, what is an art town? See, you know what I liked actually about your book is because I live in a quote unquote (laughs) art town. I'm from New York. I'm very close to the city. And I wish I didn't. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Everyone wishes thinks that life would be so much better if they live somewhere else. Yeah. Because like to get into a New York gallery, that is so next level. It would be much easier if I lived in a smaller town with smaller galleries and all the art festivals I apply to, I'm competing with artists from all over the country, not just my local area, not just my state, but and not just my region, but the entire country. You're a really small fish in New York. Not only that, but the galleries in New York, when we think of the New York art world, you have to have a certain price point to show there because they have to make rent. And they don't show anyone who sells for under $50,000 or whatever. They've got to make rent. It's very difficult. It's not quite the same, but is true. If you go to Santa Fe, which people would consider an art town, there's a lot of artists there. And so it's more difficult to make a reputation in an area like that. There's more opportunities for sure, but there's also a lot more quote unquote competition in those places. It's much easier to make a reputation when you're in an area where you already know some people, people who know you and love you and want to support you. Doesn't mean that you don't grow and move beyond that or inclusive of that. It just means that it's hard to go to a quote unquote art town, whatever that is, and make it big. Yeah. Quickly. I hear from people, like I, I remember hearing from a, a student recently, oh, people don't buy art in Australia. Mm, oh, yeah. Apparently, people don't buy art anywhere. And then I had a guest on recently who's from Australia telling me how much she likes to buy art and she's always buying art. So No, everyone thinks that life is so much better if they live somewhere else, but they're not doing the hard work that it takes 
to build a reputation where they are, to bloom where they are planted. And so many artists don't even know what's going on in their own communities. Mm. I, I don't even know th this mindset, so it's really hard for me to fathom it, but it's almost like they're going to like run to an art town and all of a sudden meet everyone where they're afraid to leave their studio and go meet people right down the street. Yeah. Like they're going to suddenly start behaving differently if they lived in an art town. Right, right, right. <laughs> it doesn't compute. I think that there's fear behind all of that. Yes, I completely agree. Now, let's break down some of those things that you just talked about. Let's talk first about just getting involved with your art community. So I said that I'm from New York, but where I have the greatest success are not the biggest shows mm -hmm. that, like I said, that people are competing on to get into from all over the country. But I have a local show that's in a suburb right in town, and I do really well there. And it's because I nurture the relationships of everyone who ever visits my booth and mm -hmm. signs up for my email list. And then I wanted to point out something that I pulled directly from your book. You suggest a strategy of texting your friends when you have an art show. And I have to say this absolutely works. <laughs> cool. Very cool. So for example, it's not so much that what people get worried about is that they're bothering their friends or asking them to buy art. What I do specifically I have this, my art booth set up right in town as part of the show. What I do specifically is I text my friends and I ask them, please stop by and visit me. Yeah. And the reason this works is not so much that my friends are the ones who are coming to buy my work, but it creates a buzz inside my booth. So now we have people in my booth and my friends who are walking over to my booth, they they may not be as shy as me. They're talking to people on their way. Hey, I'm going to go to see this artist. And they bring in other people. It's yeah. just amazing. That's great. Not only that, but the people that you're closest to are the ones who most want to support you. Like you said, so many artists think, I don't want to bother people. You know, I don't want to want to bug them with too much. But if they're the last people to hear about what you're up to, they're going to be kind of pissed off, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, why didn't so, you invite me? If I, yeah. Involving them to tell people that you really would love them to be part of this is of, I don't want to say of service, it's a friendship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to support them and their things, but I can't do it if I don't know what it is and what's important to them. Exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah. And then telling those friends later how much it meant to you is that extra step. You don't know what it was like when you came to the tent and enlivened things. And that will just make them want to come again the next time, maybe even without the text. Yes, I do send handwritten notes. Allison is very big on the thank you. And for those of you who get writers don't know what to say, she tells you exactly what to say inside the book, which do. I love. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and what not yeah. to say and those are very humorous parts <laughs> what to do on the phone <laughs> not to do on the phone yeah you want to go there <laughs> yeah why don't you go ahead you know I used to answer phones for a U.S. senator's office and I really think we've lost the skill to answer phones to talk on the phone and 
I work with millennials on my team and there have been points when I've actually had to teach them how to answer the phone because this like, hi, this is Allison and with our biz success, how can I help you is not something that people learn these days, especially you just have to be really deliberate about it. And when you use your phone as your business phone as well, you got to be extra careful how you answer your phone. You have to be professional all the time. One other example I want to give is terms of picking up the phone. So email is great. We have a few episodes all about email. In fact, next week's episode is all about what kinds of emails to send. But sometimes just picking up the phone is best, not just with your friends, But the said arts show I was talking about in my local village, there's a woman who likes to come every year and she spends thousands of dollars, not just on my art, but collectively. And usually she comes because I'm the one who picks up the phone and say, hey, did you know we have the art show this weekend? In addition to the email, or people will get the email from me and I'll ask them, why are you here? Well, you sent me an email or you sent me a postcard. Right. But what I find really confusing is that the same art show, there'll be somebody there from a different friend who will say, yeah, I had to check every week to find out when this is. I said, well, didn't your friend email or call you? Right. I live in Golden, Colorado, where there's an art festival every summer. And sometimes artists who've been on my list forever come here to do the show. I never hear from them. Mm. I only see their name on the poster or if I go through the tents. And that just amazes me. Maybe they don't think I'm their buyer, but I'm right here. It's not like it's a right. huge city or, or something. So the phone, it seems to me like we talked about that at the workshop that you attended. Yes. Well, then there's the <laughs> issue that people don't pick up the phone. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that actually comes from Matt Oskley's book. It's O-E-S-C-H-L-I. And I'm going to totally butcher the title because I was not prepared to talk about it. But it's about marketing to the affluent, how to sell to the affluent, how to market to the affluent. What he says is that people with money prefer to do transactions one-on-one, face-to-face. That's how they prefer to do their business transactions. Second up is by the phone. Third is email. Fourth is text or nothing at all. So... If you want to deal with high-end collectors, you got to learn to use the phone because that's how they prefer to communicate. It's hard. I know every time I say, call them, use the phone, pick up the phone, my clients just like dial, like call and talk to somebody. (laughs) It's new and different, but it can clarify so much. I love using the phone to clarify things so that if someone emails you or they fill out some form on your website and says, I'm really interested in this. Imagine their surprise at the level of customer service if you actually pick up the phone and call them back. Yes. Nobody does that. And you can also do the intermediary step of emailing them and saying, I would love to call you when is a good time. You know, yes. you can if you're in the email exchange, let's take this to email. Because there's so many times where you can save time instead of you think the email is fast and quick answer, but it's a lot of back and forth 
sometimes to handle something very simple. It is, yes. And then what I like to do for high-end collectors, I like to arrange for a home visit with my art. Do you have clients who do that as well, Allison? Yeah, we well, we call them studio visits. Yeah, absolutely. Except that I will sometimes take the art to their home because... Oh, I see. They're not artists like we are, so they can't visualize things in their home. So if they see things they like, either an in-person art fair, art festival, art show... Or in my studio, I will offer to take pieces to their home. And usually I will take more than just the pieces that we've talked about, even if it means also bringing blank canvases of various sizes so that they can see, visual, really see in their home how a certain size would look over that focal point that they they want to collect for. That's brilliant. And it's just a really high level of customer service. I'm sure they truly appreciate your doing that. Yes. I've never not had that lead to a sale doing that. It's usually either a sale of the art or a most likely it ends up being a commission because I show them the art they had in mind, but maybe they want a larger size or a different size to fit the space. So also lead to sales of multiple pieces because, well, this one doesn't quite fill up that space that I wanted it to. Or, oh, I can see how this one would fit nicely across the room. Yeah, and it really helps with the visualization. Yes. And then in terms of what you said, what those types of high-end collectors like. So one that I'm thinking of in particular that led to two commissions, I was at their home for a barbecue and there was nothing over the sofa. But in addition, it was a couple, their home looked recently decorated. You know, it was completely decorated to the nine. So it was clearly their home was something they took pride in. But besides the art that I recognized from the Ethan Allen catalog in the hallway, <laughs> there really wasn't much there. So I just suggested to the husband, you know, I can help with that. Mm-hmm. I, and then he was like, I'm so glad you offered. So once again, it's like you can put yourself out there in that position of what you said about being involved in your community and also what you said about face to face and then following up with in person. So how to get that done, which these are the best sales for me are still the one on one. What I like what you said in the book, it's like you can try to hack the whatever the websites are right now, Etsy or some other one. But really, to make a, a living selling high-end art, it does come down to these one-on-one interactions. Right. Well, and even if you hack the latest technology, you know how to like really increase your SEO and get thousands and thousands of followers on Instagram, you still have to know how to take care of people in your relationships because you have to follow up with people. You have to go back to them. You have to show people that you care. If people feel like you're always selling to them, it doesn't work, but you have to care about people. And relationships are everything, not just in the art business, but in any business. Yeah. And can you imagine not having anything over the sofa? I mean, really? Oh, it was so sad to me. (laughs) I really get sad sometimes when I go to people's houses and I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) Or worse, or worse, they have a framed poster. I was like, you're still in college. (laughs) You're almost 50. Come on. (laughs) 
my office at home is empty because I, I just redid it and I'm waiting for it to speak to me about which art is going to go in there. Note to artists who are traveling to Colorado. There's a couple of things that I want to point out to you in case you didn't pick them up. Number one, Allison wants you to send her a note inviting her. Number two, she has some empty wall space. So she's not done collecting. <laughs> Let me just say I have empty wall space, but I also have buckets full of art that are waiting for oh, well, me. It doesn't matter. <laughs> figure out where to put it. Because if you go to that art show because somebody invited you and now yep. something speaks yep. to you more it's than true. the stuff you have not hung up yet, you will collect it. It's true. It is true. Especially if somebody's really nice. Let's talk about advertising because that's the one thing that is not really in your book. Why do you tell artists not to advertise? Why advertising doesn't work? I don't tell them not to advertise. I've just seen artists sink money into advertising without knowing what the hell they're doing. So they buy an, one ad and it doesn't work. Okay, let's clarify what you mean by that then. Do you mean like doing Facebook ads? Do you mean like anything? buying a page it, in a magazine? Buying so a all page, those things. buying a quarter page, buying like anything. So if you talk to anyone in advertising, and this is not my area of expertise, which is another reason I didn't write about it. If you talk to anyone about advertising, you know that you have to buy repeated placements. Like people have to see you again and again and again in order for them to learn to trust you and make a decision on that. But Facebook is kind of a different thing, right? Because Facebook is like really super expensive and you have to follow up and you have to know, you know, who's seeing your work there. I've spent thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on Facebook ads. I don't do that. I don't do that anymore. You really have to know what you're doing and most of my ads on Facebook and most of the ads that tend to work for people are when you advertise something free, not something paid, right? So it's a free webinar, free report, some free download, et cetera. Yeah. You're actually advertising for an opt-in for in exchange for someone's email address. And for artists who are not selling art classes, so we're going to distinguish that it's very difficult to come up with something that will appeal to someone who doesn't know you and, or your art already. There's things you definitely can do if they are meeting you in person to get them to sign, you know, that free offer to get them to sign up for your email list. But I completely agree with you that online for fine art, it doesn't work so well. I just think that people look at it as a quick fix. Like I'll buy an ad and then hundreds of people will sign up or like my page or whatever. Instead of putting the hard work into something that's much more, that will pay off more in the long run, but it's also much more authentic. It feels better for you to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with people than to just like throw money at a problem. Yeah. And let's circle back to what we we're talking about with the art show. So we did mention about the texting your friends works, calling art collectors who have visited your show before works. The other thing that I find really works, and this goes back to the idea of getting involved in your community, not just your art community, is I always found that the majority of people who attend my shows 
are the ones I've handed a postcard to mm. invitation to the week leading up to the show, which means at my yoga class, at my synagogue, at these out of the studio, getting out of the studio in-person meetings. Have, have you noticed that with your clients as well, Allison? Have they shared that? If I could get my clients to do that, then yes, <laughs> I would notice that. But in lieu of that, I mean, that can work, but also there's also the one-on-one emails that are really helpful. If you, if you don't go to yoga class or synagogue the week before, just right. reaching out with the one-on-one text, the one-on-one email, and that means like being hyper-personal with people. And the snail mail. And snail mail. It's so yeah. important now. And what I like to do is instead of sending a postcard, which gets lost in the shuffle, I will put it in an envelope and hand address it to people to come to my show. And they will come to the show saying, thank you so much for that beautiful invitation. Yeah. Because people don't get mail that they like anymore. I don't mind postcards because you can actually see the artwork before you open up the envelope. So I don't, I don't mind the postcards, but just the hand addressing is huge for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I just get anxious, anxious with the postcards (laughs) that they're going to be stuck in between a news flyer. So if I really want to make sure that it gets delivered to me, it's worth that extra 20 cents or whatever it is, the difference between sending a postcard and putting that same postcard inside an envelope and paying a full first class mail for it so that they actually, I know that it's kind of like a guarantee that they get it. Yeah. Let's not forget there's now private messaging on Facebook and on Instagram. We mentioned text, but there's also private messaging where you can speak to people one-on-one and not one-to-many. Yes. I'm looking on my list of questions and here's something you put in there that you said not to do that I've done. (laughs) I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Okay. You said you should, you should not ever send a gift to a journalist. It's in their field at least it has been in the past, considered unethical to accept gifts from people because it looks like they did it as a gift to you. Politicians, if you send gifts to politicians, they have to disclose all of that. And I imagine journalists are the same. Thank you notes are, I don't know what happens when you do that, but thank you notes are really appreciated. And who knows, maybe food is fine, but gifts... And by the way, what we're talking about is like when said journalist who received gift mm-hmm. would publish a press release for me, I would send her like a set of note cards from that with mm-hmm. my image on it. So we still think that's not good. Well, it's just what I've been told. That's okay. what I've been All told right. is don't send gifts to journalists, but thank you notes are great. Got it. Okay. All right. So I can save my pretty note cards for... Save your pretty note My mother-in-law. Card. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. At least you didn't send her a car. No, I didn't send her jewelry <laughs> or anything like that. It was, you know, it was, it was appropriate to, when we had this rule with the PTA that you weren't allowed to send, give gifts to teachers mm-hmm. over $25 because it was considered like a bribe. So I guess it's yeah. the same sort of thing that Similar. you don't want to be bribing them. All right. Let's talk about your email address. So one point you have here, and this came up recently today with with an artist that I'm working with, why you shouldn't hide behind a Gmail address. Use the email address that comes with your website instead. So those of you who are not sure what we're talking about, if I have an email address that's miriam.shulman at gmail.com, 
versus the emails that you may get from me, which are miriam at theinspirationplace.net. So one is a Gmail address. The other one is tied to my website. So why do you feel strongly that artists should use a website email? Because it's your brand. So every time you use that email address, you're telling people, I have a website called theinspirationplace.net. And this is how you can get a hold of me here. The other one, you're advertising Gmail. You're advertising Google. Google doesn't need your advertising. They don't need that. And there's really no excuse these days because you can, you know, every place your email address is free and you can funnel it through a Gmail account. But when you want people to see you as a professional, you advertise your site, not Gmail's site. And it's funny because I think when I when I first wrote this book, which was in, it came out in 2008, the first edition, I think I really stressed because people were using Hotmail and Yahoo and AOL, you know, AOL. First of all, AOL, every time someone gets your AOL account, people go, really, really, you're still using AOL? But it's become accepted to use a Gmail account. I do not know why. I do not know why it's more acceptable to use a Gmail account than any of those other emails addresses. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Why? It's not that it's more acceptable, but MailChimp will allow you to send bulk email from a Gmail account, but not those other emails. So I think it's like they can Whereas if you have Yahoo or Hotmail, you have to either get a Gmail address or get a website address. They won't let you send it from Miriam at Yahoo, whatever it is. They won't let you send it that way. Yeah. So that's, I just mean, it's more acceptable in the public, not even in MailChimp. I don't even care about MailChimp. Do you think so? Because I don't think it's, I think it's a sign of not looking as, as not as professional. Yeah, I, I would much prefer that you advertise your website than Google's website. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. let's just pretend also, I, I don't know, if I were to hire somebody, I wouldn't want, I would prefer somebody to be at that level of professionalism and other, you know, if I'm hiring, I, mean, I don't think a website designer is a good example because obviously they, not obviously, actually, it's not obvious that they would have, <laughs> you'd be surprised <laughs> just thinking about people. So anyway, yeah, but it is also, it's a great way when you have it a uh, branded email like Miriam at theinspirationplace.net that whenever I email people, they actually see, oh, she has a website. What is that website? Right. So it's kind of subtle advertising just when you are also using that email address in your... Yeah, I'm looking in my inbox and I see everyone's email address and I think, oh, I wonder what theinspirationplace.net is, not... I wonder what Gmail is. And you also recommend using a signature block. Do you want to share some details on that? I don't have many rules around that, except that some people go kind of crazy on their signature blocks. They have too many links. And the more links you have, the more likely your email is to get caught in a spam filter. Mm, true. I prefer people like focus on one promotion at a time in their signature block or, you know, whatever it is that they're using. So when, when I see someone's signature block and it says, follow me on Instagram, find me on Twitter, um, like me right. on Facebook, blah, blah, blah. I don't know where to go. Where's the one place that you want me to go? And let me just tell you this. It's usually not your homepage because mm. your homepage is almost always the most boring page of your whole website. So where should they go? Wherever you want to send people right now. For you, it might be 
catch my podcast, catch the latest episode of my podcast and send them to your podcast page. Or maybe it's, this has been a favorite podcast and send them directly to that particular podcast. That's like much easier for people to act on than going to a homepage and going, crap, now where do I go? Or seeing six different links and an email signature and thinking, well, I don't know which one to go to, so I'm not going to go to any of them. I also get bothered when people send me quotes in their signature block. In their signature block. Because <laughs> I read why, them. Why does that bother you? I don't know, because I start reading them and then I realize, oh, this isn't meant for me. <laughs> it's just a quote that they throw in there. It's just a random quote. Exactly. It's just a random quote. What if the quote was from them? I don't know. Just, I, it's still like, it takes takes me a while. Like I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm like, oh wait, that was a quote that's just in there. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm not I'm saying not saying I hate it or anything. I just don't love it. It's yeah. not like the same level as how I feel about when people send me voice notes. That bothers me. Say more about Voice that. notes. You know, instead of, I don't mind if they leave me a voice message. They call, I'm not home. They leave me a voice message. But instead of sending a text, they record themselves talking oh, and I they see. send it. Do you I get see. those from people? Not enough. No, oh. <laughs> not at all. Oh. Not really. Okay. I guess it depends on what the voice is. I've had people send me happy birthday voice memos. Okay. Which really kind of fun when people are singing to you. On That's fine. You know, okay. So let me back up. The reason I don't like it is because I feel like it's a one-way convenience for the other person, but not for me. Ah. So if somebody's going to leave me a message that I have to listen to, when I'm, I'm sending them a text and the reply back is they decide to use the, the record function. Well, now I'm texting them. I may not be in a place where I can listen to it. Correct. So I feel like it's a one-way convenience for the other person. So it's like just going back to what's considerate. Maybe that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. All right, let's talk about something else that's important. Then we're going to wrap up. So okay. I love the way you talk about putting your plans in writing and keeping your appointments with yourself. So how often do you recommend people plan their days, their weeks, their well, lives? Days should be planned every day, but I'm not a weekly planner. What I am right now, this is right now I'm a space planner. I want lots of space on my calendar. I find that I need that. And right now I am... And I recommend this for everyone listening, that you build lots of space in your calendar for, for your time to plan. So I've recently enacted my content days. My Fridays are now content days. I'm only going to do content. So a friend says, can we meet that day? No, we can't. That's my content day. And I have said that to really good friends content is huge. You know, I mean, it's a podcast, it's your newsletter, it's social media. So it, it takes a long time. It takes, takes a whole day or more. And it often spills over into Mondays, and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. But as a professional, as a person who should be the CEO of his or her art business, you have to be in control of your schedule or someone else is going to control it for you. When I see artists start talking about being so busy and blaming, you know, this person for impeding their time and this and that. It's usually because they haven't set those boundaries around their time. No one's going to tell you to do that. So as the CEO, that's what you have to do. You have to learn that discipline and whatever planning means, it means something different to everyone. 
It could be quarterly planning where you sit down. It could be, I have a couple mastermind situations. They're both virtual. Sometimes one is in person, but often my planning revolves around those like every month or two around preparing for those. Used to, when I was working all the time with a coach consistently, it was like constant planning. The planning your day, if you want your day to be beautiful and work smoothly and deliberate, you have to look at your calendar. For me, it's the night before. For some people, it might be the morning of, but I can't sleep well if I don't look at it the night before. It's definitely easier to do day before. And and usually that's the only task that I let myself multitask on. That's kind of a dirty word. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, like that's something that I can do after dinner. That's something I can do during commercials oh, when, I'm, sure. when I'm burnt out. That's what I mean by that. So I do like to do it the day before. Usually I will make a to-do list and that ends up being my task list for the week. Mm-hmm ambitiously or aspirationally, that might be something you wish you could get done in one day, but usually that ends up being for the week. And then I try to think about what are the three things that have to get done that day. So today I wrote the outline for our interview and the other plan I had was to research art shows And I gave myself permission that I didn't have to apply to the shows that I researched, that the only thing I put on my calendar today was research. Yeah, those are two different things, two different steps. Exactly. So I didn't want to be slowed down by the research stage by then having to stop and, and figure out the application. So whenever I found something I liked, I grabbed the link and put it into Asana, which I think I started using that thanks to you. Yeah, Yeah. that's the best. (laughs) Yes. So I have like my project for art shows and I have a list now of shows that I want to apply for, which I, once I ran out of art show research to do, then I started picking out the application process, but I will have to on another day now put that on my to-do list for that one thing for the day would be to apply to a certain amount Absolutely. of shows. Absolutely. That's perfect. And then you'll you'll have the energy, you will start the wheel in motion that you just once you finish one, the second one's gonna be easier, the third one's gonna be even easier. And that's harder to do when you start and stop and start and stop. Yeah. Momentum, and then just, that's the word I was looking for. Right. <laughs> that's right. You have your content day. I think that's hugely important to batch mm-hmm. anything you're doing. So, like you said, art show. Research and art show application are really two different tasks. So you want to batch the research and batch the application because the application now suddenly you're formatting images, you're writing an artist. It's all kinds of nonsense. Yeah. Too often we get distracted by bright, shiny objects if we don't batch. And we still will get distracted. I do it too. We do. Like, oh, West Hampton. (laughs) That's a good place to have an art show. Are there hotels there? (laughs) Should I put my deposit down on a hotel? What do they have? Will my husband want to come with? Like all these crazy, (laughs) crazy town stuff. All right. So this has been really enlightening, Allison. I do hope everyone grabs the hard copy. I'd rather be in the studio. It's in paperback. I said hard copy, but it's it's just in paperback, right? In paperback, correct. Yes, which will make it easier for you to carry with you on the plane or wherever you're going to get it on Amazon. Again, the link to that is in the show notes, shulmanart.com forward slash 40. And I've also added this to my book club reading list, shulmanart.com forward slash book club. 
All right, Allison, do you have last, any last words for my listeners before we call this episode complete? Yeah, the book is called I'd Rather Be in the Studio, The Artist's No Excuse Guide to Self-Promotion. It's all about getting out of the studio and getting your work out there. But I want everyone to remember that you have nothing to promote until you do the work in the studio. Mm. The studio has to come first or else you're not an artist. I do want you to get the work out of the studio, but you have to put in your time in the studio, have to be committed to that studio practice. I love that. I especially liked something recently you did where you said, well, if you, you want to make $100,000, how many paintings do you have to make to... Mm-hmm. But guess what? You're probably not going to sell all of them, but at minimum, you you know you have to create 100 paintings if they're $1,000 each. Do you have that body of work? So good stuff. All right. Thanks again for joining us today, Allison. You can also listen to her podcast. What's the name of your podcast, Allison? It's called the Art Biz Podcast. Awesome. And you have a, an archive podcast as well, right? I do. The Art Marketing Action Podcast. In fact, we're like trying to clean it up right now. But yeah, it's 2007 to 2010 that podcast was going on. It's a, it's a much different format than what we have now at the Art Biz Podcast. Okay. So we've included links to everything, all things Allison, all things Art Biz Success in the show notes in case you want to work more with her and check out her programs. All right. Finally, to wrap this all up, I want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. Next week, we have expert copywriter Lacey Boggs, who's going to share strategies for writing emails that convert. And the week after, I'm chatting with creativity coach and therapist Eric Maisel about how to master your creative anxiety. And I know you're not going to want to miss either of those. If you have an iPhone, subscribing is so easy. Just open your purple podcast app that came installed on your phone and then search for the Inspiration Podcast. Just hit the purple subscribe button. By the way, while you're there, you can leave a review. Just scroll down, hit five stars and click write a review. And if you put your Instagram handle in the review, by the way, that's the name you have on your Instagram account that starts with that at sign. Okay. I'll be sure to give you a shout out on my Instagram stories. I'd love to hear what you love most about the show. And this also helps me plan future episodes. All right. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks so much for being with me here today. I'll see you same time, same place next week. Make it a great one. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course, on shulmanart.com. Once again, this episode was sponsored by The Six Figure Artist. If you're interested in hearing how you can earn more for your passion with concrete marketing and business strategies that work, head on over to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z.